just as of 10-ish hours ago, wrapped up December, which is one of the weirdest months in that it can be the slowest month of the year and the fastest month of the year. Um, I think for a lot of adults, it feels like it's the shortest because you just have so much to do. There's so much decorating and baking and cleaning and prepping and shopping and traveling to get kind of sorted out. And you just feel like from the moment the month starts, you don't have enough time to get it done. And it feels like a sprint from beginning to end. Um, And for kids, though, it feels like the longest month of the year. It's an agonizingly slow. It starts with that countdown to, to Christmas break, and you're waiting for that last school, uh, school day. And what's weird about school is like the last week, it, it doesn't even really count. Like you're not doing a whole lot. There, my kids are coming out, what'd you do? We watched a movie in like three class. I'm like, that's awesome. I remember doing that. That was like the best week. I loved that. Um, so then Christmas break gets there, you know, and then you have to watch as like presents slowly show up under the tree, and you're not allowed to touch any of them. Um, my least favorite, both as a kid and as an adult, was when uh, either my mom or Abby and I did a little baking this year, would do, make, start making stuff for Christmas, and you can't touch any of it yet. You just get to smell it. That's the worst. I, and it's like, come on, man. Why won't, come on, these days, the Christmas can't get here fast enough. And um, we have in our house uh, an advent calendar, about yay big, uh, the, the shape of a Christmas tree, and it's got ornaments you flip over every day. And we read this little Advent reading every night before bed. And so starting in December 1st, like we're counting down. My kids know exactly how many days till Christmas. And a couple weeks ago, it was like, I think, 10 days. And they, they, we do the Advent, and then they go in to brush their teeth, and I hear them all chanting, 10 more days till Christmas, 10 more days till Christmas, 9 more days till Like they start counting down like they're excited about it. Like they, and they've been wild. Like kids, grandkids, they just get a little extra wild this time of year. Um, it's almost like a permanent full moon that just never goes away. Um, and I find myself to be a weird mix of adult and kid this time of year. Um, I'm on the cusp of turning 40. I'm firmly in adult territory. Um, I mean, I can't, you know, I used to love a young adult. Like, that's like, I'm kind of a kid, but I'm also responsible. Like, that, you, that's gone. Now I'm just adult. It's like middle-aged adult. And, and so, yes, there's, there's times where in life where I just, you know, Time just goes so fast. Every year it gets a little faster, a little faster, a little faster. So as, a, as an adult, like, I feel like Christmas doesn't last long enough because it's my favorite time of the year. Um, and yet, though, I've got that part of me that as a kid, like, I just can't, there can't, it can't get here fast enough. Like, I love it so much, um, whether this year we, we spent time um, up here um, for Christmas Day since we had church on a Sunday. Usually we're either traveling to the family, one side of the family or the other. I love all of that. I can't, can't wait for that to happen. Um, so I just look forward to it. So I kind of end up being this weird mix of it's, take, it's getting here too fast, but yet it's not getting here fast enough. And now I'm going to tell you, like, I'm a little depressed that it's over, so pray for me. This is a hard time of year for people like me who, who you know, dream of jingle bells all year long. Um, but one thing that has changed is I have learned to appreciate the wait more than I used to. Like, I've learned to enjoy those moments when it, when, when it spreads out and it's not here yet, and you can enjoy the, the decorating the tree, you can enjoy the making cookies, you can enjoy decorating stuff. I just enjoy that a little bit more. It used to all feel like agonizing wait, but I've learned to appreciate that time of waiting as time in my brain uh, starts to move a little faster each and every year. 
Um, now, what we're going to do today is we're going to wrap up our, our Christmas series uh, where we've been talking about the four songs that are in the Christmas story. Uh, we've been looking at these original Christmas carols, um, and today's probably the least known of all of them. Um, we started by looking at uh, Mary's song that she sang uh, around her cousin or relative Elizabeth as after Mary found out she's going to give birth to the Messiah. Um, we looked at um, the song sung by a priest named Zechariah after his son had been born. Um, like uh, Zechariah, the guy that we're going to talk about today, he didn't make it into our manger scenes. He's not in our Advent devotionals. He just kind of got left out. Um, last week, we looked at the angels' song that they sang to the shepherds, saying, this Messiah, you, this guy that Israel's been waiting on for centuries, he's finally here. And then today, we're going to look at the song of a man named Simeon. Now, a couple weeks ago, we learned that um, men get old, women get advanced. Simeon's an old man at this point, and it's appropriate to look at this particular song on the Sunday after Christmas because this takes place after the birth of Jesus, about a month after he was born. So we're going to start in Luke chapter 2, we'll be in verse 22, Luke 2, 22, and it's a song, it's a period where you're going to look at, we're going to learn about Simeon, he's been in this season of waiting of waiting for something to happen, that kind of like that, that feeling we get before Christmas. Is it ever going to get here? He's been living in that season for a long time. And so it says, And when the time for their purification according to the law of Moses. Now, that doesn't mean anything to us because we're not Jewish. We don't know the Old Testament as well as we should. We definitely don't know the old laws as, we, as well as they did. And so this will, I'll explain it in a minute, but that's what's going on. This is a normal thing for them. And when, so, and when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they, Mary and Joseph, brought him, Jesus, to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord as it is written in the law of the Lord. They really want us to get, he really wants us to understand this is something that the law said. I mean, we're like a verse in, and he said it twice. And here's the law. He even quotes it for us. Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord. Man, he's really hitting it hard there. A pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, um, what's going on here is that Luke has taken two stories and he's smushed them into one. We don't particularly know why. It might have been to save space. Um, in ancient times, they would write on these scrolls. Uh, it wasn't like, you know, adding another page to your report. Like, you couldn't just load more paper in the copier, get it printed out, and add some staples. Like, when the scroll was out, the scroll was out. So there could have been for, for space. But also, these two stories kind of happened uh, close to each other, about 10 days apart. The first one was the consecration of Jesus as the firstborn son. Uh, this is a long tradition that went back thousands of years, but the ancient Israelites, when they had a firstborn, either a person or an animal, that firstborn was uh, taken to the temple as, and, and was given to the Lord or consecrated to the Lord. And this would have happened when Jesus was a month old. The second story was um, childbirth was something that was considered as making a person unclean because of the blood involved. And so, um, according to the law of Moses, when a woman gave birth to a son, she had a 40-day period of, of being unclean, which that wasn't, didn't mean sinful or bad or wrong. It just meant ceremonially, religiously unclean. And so, at 40 days, she would go to the temple and make an offering of two turtle doves or two young pigeons, um, which was an offering for poor people. 
usually you're supposed to bring like a goat and and a and a um, and a bird. But if you could, if you were poor and couldn't afford it, you could do two birds. Um, so she brought uh, this offering to be. Um, to, make, to kind of get herself ceremonially clean. So there's two, two events, one happening about 30 days after, one about 40 days after. Luke kind of smushes them together. Now, what is important to know, though, is these are all normal things. Every Jewish couple would have done these things. They would have gone there with their, their firstborn child, and they would have gone there um, for uh, 40 days or so after childbirth. These were just normal, everyday events. This was going to the grocery store. This was taking your kid for the, the one-week visit to the doctor, the one-month checkup at the doctor. These were just normal, everyday things. And yet, even in this normal, everyday event, we're going to see God shows up, and he starts to do something extraordinary and unusual. They get to be surprised by God again. Let's go to verse 25. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel and the holy spirit was upon him and he and it had been revealed to him by the holy spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the lord's christ so we meet the singer of today's song Simeon and like everybody else that we've kind of come across this far He's devout, he loves the Lord, he's faithful, he wants to be obedient, he wants to do what God wants him to do. And it says, Simeon lived his life waiting for the consolation of Israel. I always found that to be a confusing sentence because growing up, I only ever heard the word consolation used in one situation. It was when it was talked about the prizes given to the losers on a game show, right? Right? We've got some lovely parting gifts, some consolation prizes. You know, don't worry, they're not going home empty-handed. Right? That's the only time I ever heard the word consolation. Had no, I just thought it meant like the loser's prize. And I'm like, so he's living in the time of the loser's prize. What does that mean? I didn't understand what that word meant. Um, the other day, Facebook just kind of fed me this old video of Jeopardy, and it was um, Alex Trebek's second day hosting, so way back when, which I didn't know there was Jeopardy before Alex Trebek, so just that part was news to me. Um, so it was his second day on the job, and they get to final Jeopardy, you know, where they all have to give the same question in response to the answer on the board, right? And so all, the question was, let me give it, to the, the question was, this was the date of the first day of the 20th century, and all three contestants got it wrong, and all three contestants wagered everything. So second day on the job, everybody loses, right? Which, what, do you, what would you guess is the first day of, of, the, century, of the 20th century? January 1st, 1900. Yeah, that's what you'd think. No, that's the last day of the previous century. Or that's the last start of the... Uh, okay, No, it's actually the next year. Let me just say it that way. In 1901. The century starts on the one, just like we count. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. And then the next one would be start at 11, right? I learned that um, I graduated in 2001. And the class before us was like, we're starting off the new century. And I was like, excuse me, you losers are wrapping up one. My class is the first class to graduate in the new century, in the new millennium. So I got it right. That made me feel good that I got the old Jeopardy question right. But anyway, they, they get done, right? And Alex Trebek makes some comment about how unfortunate it was. 
And, and then, you know, but don't worry, they're going to go home with some lovely consolation prizes. And it was dishes or pots and pans or something like that. Um, but that's what the word always meant to me, the loser's prize. But it really comes from the word to console, right? To make you feel better. That's why it's a consolation. It's to take the sting out of being a loser for these people. But the idea here, living in the, uh, waiting for the consolation of Israel, it, it's the idea that Jesus was going to be this comforting presence. That he was coming to comfort God's people to heal God's people after a long and often painful history. And so God had promised Simeon that he would see this long-promised, long-awaited Messiah before he died. And that was different. Everybody else lived their lives waiting. Every other of the Israelites lived their lives waiting. But he knew that at some point he was actually going to see the coming anointed one of God. And so... Just as everyone else waited for centuries, he probably waited years, maybe even decades, just waiting and waiting, looking at every baby. Is this the one? Is this the one? Is this the one? And, and just waiting to see, is this the one that God had promised? And so after he received this promise that he would see the Savior with his own eyes, he waited and waited and waited. Verse 27, and he, Simeon, came in the Spirit into the temple, meaning God said, hey, today's a good day to go to the temple courts. You just, today, you know, you should go. And so when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he, Simeon, took him, Jesus, in his arms and blessed God and said, now we're going to pause before we get to the actual song, but um, I think one practice, I mentioned this last week, one practice that really helps you dig a little deeper in understanding what's going on in Scripture is to use your imagination and put yourself in the position of the people in the story. Okay, Joseph and Mary, they're in Jerusalem. They're not from there. Remember that we always, Jesus is called Jesus of Nazareth. That's where he grew up. That's where they lived. So he was from north. They were from north. They don't know this guy, Simeon. So imagine you're Mary and Joseph. You got your one-month-old baby, Firstborn child, you're still a little nervous, still a little anxious, and you're walking in the temple, and some strange old guy just walks up and grabs your baby out of your arms. Now, I've learned that's not okay. Like, you got to ask before you touch a baby. Typically the way it goes. Babies hate me anyway, so I usually don't have this problem, but I know that you're not supposed to do that. Um, and so either they were like, hey, what's the deal with this old man coming up and touching my baby, or... So much weird stuff had happened to them at this point that they were just like, you know what, whatever. Like, it's just another day. Like, sure, God probably is doing something too. I, everything about their life was so weird at this point. And so, and so um, Simeon shows up, and then let's put ourselves in his shoes. He walks up again, spent years waiting, decades waiting maybe. We don't know. Holy Spirit could have told him this when he was 20, and now he's an older guy, and he walks into the temple, and the Holy Spirit says, that's the baby. That's the one. You, your eyes are fine. How could he not walk up and just be overcome with joy and get a chance to hold the Savior of the world in his hands? The creator of all things. Imagine the, crea the one who made the universe, who's bigger than time itself, who spoke galaxies into existence, and you get to hold that amazingly huge God in your hands. What a unique and special moment. How could you pass that up? So, I got to give him a pass here for taking the baby out of their hands. And so he finally receives this moment. He sees God in human form and he sings this short hymn, though not the shortest, as we saw last week. He sings this short song, verse 29. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. Meaning I finally got, 
I finally have seen what I've been waiting for. According to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory to your people Israel. So he understood that Jesus wasn't just a savior for the tiny nation of Israel, but that he would be the savior of the entire human race. He understood the size and the mission of what Jesus came to do. And, and yet, the thing that sticks out to me as the most unusual statement is that first thing he says at the very top of the verse when he says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. He's basically saying, God, you did what you promised. Now I can die happy. And it's he gets this moment where the one hope of his life, this thing that he's been aching for, longing for, that hope gets met, and he shifts his eyes from this life to the next. He, he says, okay, the best thing I could ever hope for here and now is over. Okay, now I'm going to move on and wait for the fulfillment of God's promise to me in the next life. As his longing to see the Messiah is satisfied, his hope shifts to eternity. His gaze moves to peacefully waiting for eternity. And this ability to live your life with a future hope that is not in this world but in the next is, is something that is becoming less and less common for Christians. We're like everybody else. We, we get caught up in the here and now. We tie our hope to this world. Our hope is in the circumstances and this life being good and going right and being happy and being wonderful and being peaceful. And, you know, we, we uh, put our hope in, you know, finding the right job. You know, our hope is if I can just meet the love of my life, as long as my family stays healthy, then everything is good. Our hope is in that kind of stuff. Um, as long as I can save money to maybe travel one day. Or maybe as long as I can put enough in my 401k that I can kind of relax and know that that stuff's taken care of. As long as I can have enough, I can feel that there's some security in my life. And we put our hope in very normal, earthly things. And that is just a normal human thing to do. But it is an incredibly dangerous thing to do, especially for believers. Because we are told over and over and over again not to put our hope in this world. Because... This world has a way of disappointing us, of breaking us, of, of leaving us crushed when we put our hope in things in this life. When your hope is in the wrong place and that hope gets just obliterated, you are left heartbroken, often confused and lost in the season where you're like, what just happened? This thing that I've been pinning my life on is now gone. What do, I, what do you do with that? And... For, for Christians, we talk all the time about what's next. I mean, like that's, like, that's kind of a big part of our belief. You know, we talk about Jesus came the first time to die on the cross, to pay the price for sin, and to bring the kingdom of God into this world, the kingdom of God being us obeying the king, we, us living our lives as if God is in charge, for real, in charge of our lives, but that one day he's going to come back and restore all of creation, remake the earth into the way that he intended it to be, where pain and everything is a distant memory. This eternal perfection is what he's preparing for us, and that is where our hope should be stored up. Not in this life being good, because the reason Jesus came was to free us from this life because it's a mess. 
And you know it's a mess. I know it's a mess. And it's a, it's a shame that so many of us buy into the commercials and all the advertising that makes us tie our hope to this life. Um, before I came to Loami, I was, a, I was in ministry for three years at a little tiny church in just outside of um, Sisney, Illinois. Anybody ever been to Sisney? Uh, one person and two, two people have been to Sisney. That's how big it is. And that's, that's honestly two more people than I thought would have been to Sisney. But it's a tiny little church. It was, wasn't in the city, city limits. It was out in the country a little bit. Um, and we, it was up on a big hill. And so anytime it snowed even a little bit, we had to cancel church because nobody's car could make it up the little hill. And, so, and it was built next to a creek because that's where you baptized people back in the day, right? And so um, there was about 30 people that would show up on a Sunday morning. The average age was around 70. It would have been higher, but we had one family that came in. They had a high school daughter, and she really skewed us lower than what it would have been. And so uh, I was there three years. But I'll tell you, I got well-versed in doing funerals in that short time. And um, I've since coming to Luami, I've done my fair share of funerals. I was looking the other day, and I think I've done around 40 funerals total. Um, and I've spent a lot of time... Funeral homes, spent a lot of times in hospitals with people who were in their last days of their life. And let me tell you what I have seen from far too many people who put their lives into Jesus' hands. And it's this, it's as, as the years pile on and life takes more and more from you, as life tends to do, and the longer you live, the more life will take. As life takes your, the people that you love, and it takes your health, and it takes your independence, and it takes your vitality, and you have less and less reason to put hope in this world, I have seen far too many believers absolutely shattered, absolutely living their last, life, last day, years and days in depression, in sadness, and in anger because they had hoped for things. They had put their hope in things that life was just continually taking away. Hope to be around my family. Hope everyone would stay healthy. Hope everything would work out. Hope there'd be enough money. Hope that everything would go well and be peaceful and easy and normal and fine. And, and life just takes those things away. That's just how life works. And it has grown to bother me when I see people who, again, have lived for decades in church, coming Sunday after Sunday, praising, worshiping God, singing songs about eternity, knowing that Jesus points our eyes there and tells us to put our hopes there, who have made the mistake of not putting their hope in eternity, but putting their hope here and having those hopes destroyed because they put them in the wrong place. Um, my uh, great-uncle Ray, so it's my mom's uncle, my mom's dad's brother for anyone who's tracking my family tree, um, at the end of his life, a couple years before he died, he had a large stroke, paralyzed half of his body. And he was so incredibly angry and he said for several years that he didn't believe in God anymore. He said, old age is so painful, it's so awful, that if there truly was a God, he wouldn't put people through this. And so he just was for years, I mean, just angry and said, I don't believe in God anymore. And now, I don't think he ever technically really quit believing in God in the depths of his being. I think he was just mad. I think he was mad because he felt like God took away these things he felt he was owed. Because he put his hope in the wrong place. Because I think he, like everybody else, uh, like every single one of us, he assumed that he's going to live a nice, healthy life and he's going to die painlessly and peacefully in his sleep. 
Like, don't, I mean, don't you all, don't we all kind of assume that for ourselves? Like, you don't think about it, but we, that's kind of what we think. Okay, that's probably God, right? God, that's how this is going to go? Okay, we're just going to, you're not saying anything? I'm just going to assume that's how it's going to go, God. Okay, amen. Like, that's kind of what we hope for ourselves. And so, um, that when this hope got shattered, his hope was devastated, decimated. He didn't know what to do, and so he took it out on God. But over as time passed, I think what he learned was this world did exactly what this world does to everybody. It fails. It falls apart. It disappoints. And that he had put his hope in the wrong place. And slowly, as time go, get, went on, he made peace with God and, and died with his faith in the right place and his hope in the right place. But if we put our hope in the wrong places, the only way it's ever going to be put back into the right place is, is if either we make the choice to put our hope in the right place or if life does what life does and it totally pulls the rug out from under you and you get devastated and destroyed by it and you learn the hard way. And so I don't know where you find yourself at this point. Maybe life has disappointed you. Maybe it hasn't yet. Let me just say, if it hasn't yet, buckle up because it will. If life hasn't, hasn't led you through a season of agony and pain and disappointment and darkness, I hate to break it to you, but it's just, it's a matter of time. The clock is ticking. And if we put our hope in this world, we are going to end up hurt and devastated, maybe even angry with God because we live under this very modern lie that God wants us to be happy and healthy and everything to be easy every single day of our lives. And that is not the promise we find in Scripture. The hope of Jesus is not to make this life happy, but to get us to the next life where the pain and suffering of this life is a distant memory. And the beauty of God's plan of salvation and redemption through Jesus is to remove those pain, is to remove that pain. Jesus came to deal with this disappointment, to help us move beyond this disappointment, to be able to endure this disappointment, to have hope in the midst of this disappointment. And that's why he brings salvation to us so that we could have a hope that cannot be touched, cannot be shattered by even the worst days of this life. And so that we could have hope even when life just wallops us in the face. And I don't want you to spend your last days, last years in anger and, and bitterness toward God and others being angry about how life worked out. Now, I, I've got a working theory. This isn't scripture necessarily. This is just me thinking in my own brain. I kind of wonder if the way life kind of increasingly takes things from us the more years we live I, I wonder if that's a little bit by God's design. I wonder if the way life takes more and more of the best and most beautiful things that we have is so that we have less in this life to want to hold on to and so that our eyes and our gaze will stop staring here and naturally move to where it should be. Uh, I don't know. Again, I don't, don't take that as a as scripture. That's just something I've wondered about um, because I've just seen this process happen so many times. But what is beautiful about this story is we walk in and we see a guy who sees the one beautiful thing he's been waiting on, and he doesn't move to the next beautiful thing. That's what we do. Our lives are, you realize how blessed you are? Yeah, I mean, do you know how many of us, we just like spent days, some of, how many of you aren't even done with all your Christmasing yet? 
Yeah, a few. Yeah, we're Christmas in today. And yeah, so that's how this is going to be. Like, wish to, we just have there's presents. Everybody's opening presents. And you're like, oh, there's so many little pieces. And oh, we're complaining about how blessed we are and how much we have. Wrapping paper. My trash can's full. Where am I going to keep this trash? Like, like that, we, we want, we're so incredibly blessed. Right? We have so much. And so that when there's a good thing that comes into our life, we just move on and put our hope in the next good thing. Great. Got a new phone. This is pretty cool. Wonder when the next new phone comes out. Like, got a new car. Oh, it's got a scratch. Time to look at and start thinking about the next new car. Like, that's just kind of how we are programmed to work. But what Simeon does is he sees this amazing gift that God has promised him, and in Jesus, in seeing Jesus and holding Jesus, and he immediately says, okay, this was the one thing God had promised me for sure my life would contain. Now I'm going to move on to the next for sure promise I have from God, which is what comes in eternity. And he keeps his eyes exactly where they should be. And so my hope is that we can learn to do the same. Because this life will disappoint you. It has lots of good stuff. That, don't get me wrong. This life has so much beauty and so much goodness. But it's, not, it's, it's a joy, it's a blessing, but it's not the thing to put our ultimate hope in because even the best things are temporary. This life will disappoint. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but eventually it will. And so we are called to put our hope in Jesus, because he is the one who never disappoints. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time to, to put our hope in Jesus, to set aside a moment to kind of uh, just think about how we live and how we think about life. We are just trained from birth in our modern culture, um, and we're so blessed, and so we get kind of accustomed and trained to, to just looking for, from blessing to blessing to blessing. We, we're so blessed, we take it for granted most of the time. And so I just pray that we would not put our hope here, that we would understand that even the best this life has to offer is temporary, and that we would keep our eyes firmly focused on you. Thank you for this beautiful reminder. It's a tough reminder, it's a bittersweet reminder, but it's beautiful that this life is temporary, and you've promised us something beautiful and permanent, and you're working to um, bring the creation story full circle, where uh, the world and the universe gets to be restored to a place of peace and joy where you live with us every day, where we are with you, where we don't have the longings and aches in our heart um, that come with being um, in this broken world. And so we just thank you for this time. And I pray that we can start this year kind of fixing our gaze, fixing our eyes on you, changing it from this life to what you have promised for us through Jesus. And so just as the ancient Israelites waited for the first advent, the first coming of Jesus to, um, to bring hope and, and to console their, their pain and after centuries of, of painful history. So we set our eyes on the second advent of Jesus and the ultimate consoling and healing of all the wounds that this world has inflicted so that we can have peace and joy with you forever. What an amazing promise. We thank you for that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.